The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. A man was slowly driving north up a steep, narrow, icy mountain road. A woman was slowly driving south down the same road. As they passed by each other, the woman leaned out her window and she shouted, Pig! Responding, the man leaned out his window and he yelled, Wicked witch! Well, they both continued on their way. The man rounded the next corner and he crashed into a huge pig that was standing in the middle of the road. Sometimes even the simplest of instructions can be misunderstood, can't they? Well, today, we're going to take a few moments to study a simple instruction from the Apostle Paul. A simple instruction that, for some reason, has been misunderstood by many over the years. The instruction is found in the fifth chapter of the New Testament book known as Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. We have the verses up on the side screen here, or you can look it up in your own Bible if you'd like. Now, when you turn to Galatians, what are you turning to? It's a letter that was written 2,000 years ago by a man named Paul to a church in the region of Galatia. Galatia in the first century is now modern-day Turkey. And so Paul, he planted the churches in these regions, but some people came into the area after Paul left, and they started saying, yeah, what Paul taught you was good. You do need to accept the gift that Jesus offers you, but after you accept the gift Jesus offered you, you then have to follow all the laws of the Old Testament. It's Jesus plus these good works. And if you accept Jesus and then jump through the hoop of doing all these good works, then you'll have eternal life. And Paul had to write them and say, no, 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 folks. You're being lied to. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus alone. Oh, certainly we do good works, but we don't do them so we will be followers of Jesus. We do them because we are followers of Jesus. Your eternal life is entirely based upon the work of Jesus and your experience of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul begins to sum up this teaching in Galatians, and he says this, so I say, because everything I've just said is true, he says, so I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He goes on to say, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So clearly, Paul is trying to teach us something important here. Paul's trying to tell us what it takes to live a godly, supernatural life. Would you like to know how to live a godly, supernatural life? Would you like to know what it takes to live the kind of life that God created for you to live? Would you like to know what it takes to live the kind of life God designed for you to live? Oh, of course you would. That's something that every follower of Jesus wants to do. Well, in this passage, Paul tells us how to do that very thing. Except how he tells us is a little bit foggy, a little cloudy. I mean, what does desires of the flesh mean? And what does walk by or walk in the Spirit or, or in the Spirit, what, what does that mean to live in the Spirit or walk in the Spirit? Now, first of all, when Paul uses the term flesh in this passage, he does not mean our body. In this passage, the flesh is Paul's creative way of describing our sin-damaged mind and our sin-damaged lifestyle. The flesh is Paul's way of summing up all of the desires and thoughts and attitudes that you and I have apart from God's influence in our lives. When we live separate from God's influence, according to Paul, we're living in the flesh. 
Living according to the desires of the flesh is living as though God doesn't even exist. Living according to the desires of the flesh is what got Adam and Eve into trouble. Back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, Adam and Eve chose to live apart from God's desires and solely according, apart from God's design and solely according to their desires. Paul would say, Adam and Eve chose to live according to the desires of their flesh. Would you like to avoid the mistakes that Adam and Eve made? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, there is a way to avoid their mistake. And that way is to walk in the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, that's great, but how do you do this? Practically speaking, what does it mean to live or walk in the Spirit? How does a person actually accomplish this? Is walking in the Spirit some mysterious, mystical, magical, mystical method? Is there some secret society or technique that we have to be initiated into before we can do this? That's what we're going to learn over the next 20 minutes as we continue in our Holy Spirit University series. Now, in the first week, we learned who the Holy Spirit is. We learned that the Holy Spirit is not an it. We learned the Holy Spirit is not God's force or God's energy. We learned the Holy Spirit is a person with a mind, uh, an intellect, a will, emotions. And we learned that the Holy Spirit isn't just any person, but is the third person of the Trinity. We learned that the Holy Spirit is God. And last week, we built upon that by learning what the Holy Spirit does. Last week, we focused upon the role of the Holy Spirit. We learned that the Holy Spirit reveals what Jesus did for us, and then he applies what Jesus did to us. In fact, Jesus described the role of the Holy Spirit this way. In John 15, Jesus said this. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, he will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Jesus said, it's from me the Holy Spirit will receive what he's then going to make known to you. So Jesus was saying, the Spirit will reveal what I did for your life, and the Spirit will then apply what I did to your life. And the key way that the Holy Spirit accomplishes his role is by dwelling within us. We've learned this in this series, that the Holy Spirit dwells within the life of every follower of Jesus. That's the one thing that sets you apart as a follower of Jesus from everyone else in the world. Anyone else in the world can give of time, talents, and treasures. Anyone else can volunteer and do sacrificial things. Anybody and everybody can do that. But the one thing that is unique about a follower of Jesus is the Spirit of God dwells within your life. Your Spirit and God's Spirit dwell together. In fact, we have a core values statements here at Broadway Church, and one of our core values is dynamic spirituality. And we define dynamic spirituality by saying this, we understand that a vibrant relationship with God's Spirit is essential for effective living. And so we're about to gain some vital insight on how this relationship can be accessed and maximized. Okay. Have you ever driven up the hill from the pier at White Rock? I mean, those streets are windy and incredibly steep. It can be a challenge to drive up those streets. I want you to think deeply about this for a second. Stick with me, we're we're going somewhere with this. When you say, I drove up the hill, what are you really saying? 
When you drive up a hill, what are you actually doing when you think about it? I mean, you're sitting down, you're steering your car, and you're pressing your foot on the accelerator. That's it. You're sitting down, steering your car, pressing your foot on the accelerator. We call that driving up a hill. Your vehicle is doing the rest. In fact, your vehicle is doing most of the work under the hood where you can't even see it. Now, don't get me wrong. You have a vital role to play, but your vehicle has a vital role to play as well. When you're driving, you and your vehicle are cooperating. You and your vehicle are working together to reach your destination. That actually reminds me of a story. Two dear elderly ladies were out driving in this huge car. Both of the ladies could barely see over the dashboard. As they're cruising along, they came to an intersection. The stoplight was red, but they just drew right, drove right through it. The lady in the passenger seat, she thought to herself, my eyes must be failing me because I am certain that light was red. She didn't say anything. A few minutes later, they came to another intersection, and sure enough, once again, they drove right through the intersection, right through the red light. Well, this time, the lady in the passenger seat spoke up. She said, Penelope, do you know that you've just dr driven through two red lights? You're going to get us killed. Penelope turned to her and said, oh my, you mean I'm driving? <laughs> you know when you're driving, right? We are about to discover that walking in the Spirit is very similar to driving a vehicle. It's all about cooperating with the indwelling Spirit of God. It's all about doing our part and trusting the indwelling presence to do His part. So for the next few minutes, think in these terms. What we're trying to discern for the next few moments is this. When it comes to walking in the Spirit, what is equivalent to steering and pressing on the accelerator, and what is equivalent to what goes on under the hood? What is our role, and what's the Spirit's role? So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't... Uh, gratify the desires of the flesh. Since you live in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk and live in the Spirit? Practically speaking, how do we do this? Here is 20 centuries worth of thinking on this subject, boiled down to three practical steps. The first step to walking in the Spirit is read Scripture. Read Scripture. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 119. I have hidden your word in my heart. I've memorized the scriptures. Why? So that I might not sin against you. What is it about reading scripture that acts as an antidote for sin, a preventative against sin? Remember that reading the Bible is not the same thing as reading a novel. Just like swallowing a prescription pill is not the same thing as swallowing a piece of candy. What sets a prescription pill apart from a piece of candy? The active ingredient in the pill. What sets the Bible across, uh, apart from every other literature in the world? The active ingredient in the Bible. What's the active ingredient? 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, all scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean? It means that every verse, every word in the Bible is saturated with penetrated by, empowered with the Spirit of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. It has, carries the fragrance, the anointing, the power of the very presence of God's Spirit. All Scripture. 
So when you're driving a car, you choose to steer and press down on the accelerator. When you're walking in the Spirit, you choose to read Scripture. And what does God do when we do our part? What happens under the hood when we take this step and make this choice? Well, when you take this step to read Scripture, the indwelling Spirit will illuminate His Word and He'll instruct your mind. When you read Scripture, you do your role, the Holy Spirit will do His role. He will illuminate His Word and instruct your mind. Jesus promised this. He said the advocate, the the, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. And he will remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus promised. The Holy Spirit will take my words, Jesus said, and he'll teach you what I'm saying. And he'll remind you of everything I've said and and everything I've done. He'll illuminate his word and he'll instruct your mind. Are you walking in the spirit? Or are you following the example of Adam and Eve, going it on your own, gratifying the desires of the flesh? So let me ask you, when was the last time you read the Scripture? When was the last time you gave the indwelling Spirit the opportunity to illuminate His Word and instruct your mind? When you walk in the Spirit, you read Scripture. Now, over the centuries, a second important step has been recommended when it comes to walking in the Spirit. The second step is to reflect Christ reflect Christ. Now, what do we mean by the term, phrase, reflect Christ? Well, we mean the same thing that the Apostle John meant when he wrote, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Ever wonder, like, where do fashion trends come from, styles come from? Clearly, by looking at me, you can tell I'm not a fashionable guy. I'm not up on the latest styles. I'm wearing a cardigan, for goodness sakes, right? I mean, seriously. So, I'm not on the cutting edge of styles today. But what happens is there are some trendsetters in our world, some fashionistas, some fashion setters, and they have big fashion shows. And their minds, their styles, their preferences, their tastes raise the bar, set the bar, set the trends for the whole world. People go to their fashion shows, see what they're doing. Oh, broad shoulders. Oh, narrow shoulders. No shoulders. Wide pant legs. Oh, narrow pant legs. Whatever's in, you know, they determine what's in. They set the trends. And so being in style means following the example of the trendsetter. Well, walking in the Spirit means following the example of Jesus. Now, as a follower of Jesus, you have followed a certain path, a certain uh, uh, stages that you've gone through in your life. In fact, at Broadway Church, our logo reflects these stages. The O in Broadway Church is these concentric circles. And each line, each circle in those concentric circles represents a stage in the journey towards Christ-centeredness. The outward, outer circle is those who are unfamiliar with Christ. And then you move to exploring Christ. When you begin to investigate who this Jesus is, maybe that's you here today. You're exploring Jesus. The next stage in the journey is you cross the line of faith. You trust Christ with your eternity, and you then begin in Christ. 
And then the next stage is you're growing in Christ. And then the final is you are centered in Christ. Those are the stages of the journey of every follower of Jesus. Your life is in one of those rings right now. You're either unfamiliar with Christ, exploring Christ, beginning in Christ, growing in Christ, or you're centered in Christ. Now, what does a life that's centered in Christ look like? You're reflecting Christ at that stage. What does that look like? At Broadway, we define it with four simple terms. You believe what Jesus believed. You teach what Jesus taught. You live like Jesus lived, and you love like Jesus loved. Those four keys define a Christ-centered life. Believe what Jesus believed. Teach what Jesus taught. Live like Jesus lived. Love like Jesus loved. That is a Christ-centered life. That is what reflecting Christ looks like when you seek to do those four things. Now, when you're driving a car, you choose to steer and you choose to press down on the accelerator. And then the vehicle does the rest. When you're walking in the Spirit, you choose to reflect Christ. You choose to follow the example of Jesus in every aspect of your life. You choose to believe, teach, live, and love like Jesus. Well, what does God do when we do our part? What happens under the hood when we take this step and make this choice of reflecting Jesus? When you take this step, when you seek to reflect Jesus, the indwelling spirit will then empower your actions and transform your character. He will then empower your actions and transform your character. Folks, this is what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. The Apostle Paul in Galatians says, you know, here's the fruit of our sinful nature, of our flesh, but if we don't live that way, if we walk by the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will be produced. Love, joy, peace, goodness, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. He lists, here's what the Spirit of God will produce in your life. Peter put it this way. His divine power, God's divine power, has given, not will, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. Remember, we learned, if you were with us last week, that word knowledge isn't the word for head knowledge. It's not the word for knowledge that you get by studying. It's the word for knowledge that you get by personal experience, by personal interaction. I have a head knowledge of giving birth, childbirth. I watched my wife give birth four times. My wife has a different type of knowledge when it comes to birth. She has knowledge not by studying it. She has knowledge gained by actually doing it. That's the word here for knowledge. It's knowledge through participation, knowledge through activity, knowledge through interaction. And his divine power has given us everything we need for our godly life through our interaction with him, our participation with him. Paul went on to say in 2 Corinthians, and we all, all of us Christ followers, who with unveiled faces, meaning with a direct interaction with God, contemplate the Lord's glory. Remember that word contemplate we learned last week? It means to, to stare into a mirror, to gaze into a mirror. We will contemplate the Lord's character. And if we do this, we are being transformed into his image. The image we're looking at is the image we're being transformed into. With ever increasing glory, meaning more and more we're being transformed, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What Paul is saying is, the more we focus upon Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. 
You say, well, how does this happen? By gazing into, into the character of Jesus. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is God's supernatural work within you. You do your part. You contemplate his glory. You look into his life. You believe, teach, live, and love like he did. And when you do that, the fruit of the Spirit will be produced in your life. This is God's supernatural work. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You don't work it up. You work it out by cooperating with him. So let me ask you, are you walking in the Spirit or are you following the example of Adam and Eve? How intentional are you in aligning your life to the life of Jesus? Whose opinion matters most to you? Whose image influences you most in life? When you walk in the Spirit, you actually reflect Christ. What what does it mean to walk or live in the Spirit? We're taking 20 centuries worth of thinking and boiling them down to three practical steps. The first step to walking in the Spirit is read Scripture. The second step to walking in the Spirit is to reflect Christ. And that brings us to the third and final step that we're going to touch on today. And that is request guidance. Request guidance guidance. Now, living as followers of Christ, moment by moment, day by day, we are continually being confronted with decisions, opportunities to say this or say that, do this or do that, choose this or choose that. Now, the first two steps in walking in the Spirit have already narrowed our options significantly. I mean, when you read Scripture and reflect Christ, That goes a long way towards limiting your choices and directing your path. However, every now and then, we come up against issues that aren't as clear. Every now and then, we face decisions that don't present obvious right or wrong options. Every now and then, we come up against decisions that are more nuanced, they're more subtle. Every now and then, we have to choose between two equally good or neutral options. Do I move here or do I move there? Do I accept this or job offer? Do I remain in my present job? Do I study this career or that career? Do I marry? Do I remain single? These are not good or bad options. They're both good options. A a few weeks ago, we had a guest speaker from from Jerusalem here, Wayne Hills and his wife, Anne. And he mentioned in his sermons that how I was with him and his wife, Jan and I were with them in Jerusalem 12 years ago when Broadway Church first contacted us and asked us if we would be interested in coming to Vancouver. And what Wayne mentioned that I had not mentioned to you was that when I was, when Broadway first contacted me, I was in Jerusalem in Wayne and Ann's kitchen because Wayne was saying, Darren, would you consider coming to Jerusalem and taking over my role, taking over King of Kings ministry and being the lead pastor of King of Kings in Jerusalem and in Israel. And so When he was talking about this, I got a contact from Broadway Church saying, would you consider coming to Vancouver? Those are two good options. Jerusalem, Vancouver. Jerusalem, Vancouver. Now, I love rain, so Vancouver is very. (laughs) I mean, it's not a matter of good versus evil or evil versus good. Both excellent, intriguing options. But how do you make those decisions? Walking in the Spirit means requesting guidance from the indwelling Spirit of God at such times. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. He said, listen, speaking to Christ followers, if any of you lacks wisdom, 
You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. You will receive wisdom, he says. The Apostle Paul gives us this advice. He said in Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything. Do you hear that? You're here today and you're just, there's something going on in your life and you're just nervous and you're tense and you're on edge. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, he says, don't be anxious about anything. What am I supposed to do? In every situation, by prayer and petition, meaning by asking God, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what will happen? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. While hiking uh, up in the mountains in one of our provincial parks, a tour guide was giving a talk to a group of tourists. And he was warning these tourists about hiking in grizzly bear territory. There are some dangers hiking in our mountains with grizzly bear territory. So the guide said, listen, he said, most dangerous grizzly bear encounters occur when hikers accidentally stumble upon bears and surprise the bears, and that's when it gets ugly. He said, so to avoid this, the tour guide recommended that all of the tourists tie little bells to their clothing. So as they're walking through the woods, it's ding a ling ding a ling ling ding a ling ling and the bears can hear that they're coming, and then you won't surprise them. Also, the guide said, be very cautious when you see signs of grizzly bears in the area. He said, especially look for bear droppings on the ground. And one tourist raised her, his hand and said, how can I tell if they're bear droppings? And the tour guide said, well, that's simple. You can tell the grizzly bear droppings because they're full of little tiny bells. <laughs> Often on life's trail, we can feel frightened about what might be waiting around the next corner. Paul reminds us, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends, which rises above, which is beyond our understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When you're driving a car, you choose to steer and press down on the accelerator, and you trust your vehicle to do the rest. When you're walking in the Spirit, you choose to request guidance and let God do the rest. You choose to look to the indwelling presence of God to guide you in such moments. So what does God do when we do our part? What happens under the hood when we take the step and make this choice? When you take the step, when you request guidance, the indwelling spirit will seed your thoughts and will direct your desires. When you seek guidance, when you request guidance, the indwelling spirit promises he will seed your thoughts, and he will direct your desires. Remember the passage we learned last week from Paul in Philippians 2. He says, he's writing to people that, that he knew well, that he lived amongst them for a while. He said, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. He says, when I was with you, you obeyed my teaching. But now that I'm not with you anymore, you're still obeying my teaching. Well done. He says, so continue to work out your salvation, not work up. But work it out. You already have your salvation. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to earn it. You work it out. You've already received it. Now work it out in your life. And do it with fear and trembling. Take it seriously, he said. And when you do this, here's what happens. For it is God who works in you to will 
and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. When you request guidance, when you work out your salvation, when you read scripture and reflect Christ and request guidance, God works in you to do what? To will. In other words, he gives you desires. And to act, he gives you the ability to live out these desires in order to fulfill his good purpose. Are you walking in the spirit or are you following the example of Adam and Eve, going your own way, gratifying the desires of your flesh? When was the last time that you asked God for guidance? When was the last time you called upon God to direct your path? Requesting guidance is a key step in walking in the spirit. Well, let's begin to to land this plane now. A few moments ago, we began this teaching by likening walking in the Spirit to driving a car. We pointed out how you have a role in steering and pressing down on the accelerator, and your vehicle does the rest of the work under the hood, where you don't even see it. When you're driving, you and your vehicle are cooperating. You and your vehicle are working together to reach your destination. Walking in the Spirit is a similar dynamic. I want to show you something that I find interesting. I want to demonstrate to you visually. If you're a visual learner, this will help you. Let's demonstrate visually this dynamic of cooperation that the Bible describes. Turn your outline over and go back to point A and look at those verses that we looked at, first of all, under point A. Here's what I want you to do, and I'm going to show you which ones to do it with. We're going to circle the phrases that represent our role, what we're supposed to do, and we're going to underline the phrases that illustrate the Spirit's role. We're going to circle your role, and you're going to underline the Spirit's role. Here we go. In that first verse, Psalm 119, circle, I have hidden your word in my heart. Circle that. I have hidden your word in my heart. That's your role, to to read Scripture, to study Scripture, to memorize Scripture. Now, in the next verse, 2 Timothy 3, underline, because this is God's role, all Scripture is God-breathed. That's God's role. That's what He does. He breathes into Scripture. He empowers and illuminates and anoints Scripture. In the next verse, John 14, underline, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. That's not your role. That's the indwelling Spirit's role. All right, look at point B under reflect Christ. In that first verse, 1 John 2, 6, circle, live as Jesus did. That's your role. Live as Jesus lived. Believe, teach, live, love. Remember, we learned that. Signs of a Christ-centered life. Okay, the next verse, 2 Peter, underline, his divine power has given us everything we need. That's not your role. That's the Spirit's role to give you the power to do everything that you need to do to live a godly life. But in that same verse, circle through our knowledge of him. That's your role. Remember that word knowledge. It's the Greek word epinosis. It means knowledge gained through interaction. His divine power is there for you through your interaction with him. The next verse, 2 Corinthians 3 Circle the phrase, contemplate the Lord's glory. Contemplate. Remember that word contemplate in the original language means to gaze into a mirror, to intently look. So it's to study the life of Jesus. Contemplate the Lord's glory. And then underline our being transformed into his image. That's the Spirit's role. As we contemplate 
He transforms. Now go to point C in your outline, request guidance. In that first verse, underline, or not underline, circle the two words, ask God. Circle, ask God. That's your role. It's my role and your role to ask God. And then underline, who gives generously to all. That's his role. That's the Spirit's role. In the next passage, Philippians 4, circle the phrase, present your requests to God. Present your request to God. That's your role, to lift your request, to pray, to petition God, to tell God what you're feeling and what you need. And then in the same verse, underline, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's his role. Do you see how this is working together? Let's go to the last uh, verse in Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Circle the phrase, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation means apply what you've learned. Live according to the truths that you've been taught. Work it out. That's your role. Circle that. And then underline God who works in you. That's his role. Now sit back and look at that. Look at the circles and the underlines together, often in the same verse. Do you see this visually? When you do your role, the Spirit does his role, and you're working together. So as we can see visually here, walking in the Spirit is supernatural living. There's a whole lot of supernatural stuff going on there, but it's doing it in a very natural way. Walking in the Spirit is simply choosing to cooperate with the indwelling Spirit of God. And this actually brings us to today's big idea, where we do our best to sum up the teaching in one simple phrase, one simple statement every week. Here's today's summary, today's big idea. Walking in the Spirit is the supernatural result that comes when you use your will to choose His way. Walking in the Spirit, what is it? That's the supernatural result. This is not a natural result. It's a supernatural result that comes when you use your will to choose His way. It's what happens when you and the indwelling Spirit cooperate together. How can a person avoid the same mistakes that Adam and Eve made? How can a person avoid living apart from God and instead live closely connected to God? The answer is to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And how do I do that? It's incredibly simple we've learned today. It's three simple steps. Read Scripture, reflect Christ, and request guidance. That's your role. And if you do your role, the indwelling Spirit will do His role. Walking in the Spirit is the supernatural result that comes when you use your will to choose His way. He will illuminate His Word and instruct your mind. He'll empower your actions and transform your character. He will seed your thoughts and He'll direct your desires. Walking in the Spirit, it's how you were created to live. It's, it's the life you were designed to experience. So who wouldn't want to live this way, folks? Why would you try to push your vehicle up the hills of White Rock when you can drive up? Why would you try to physically, with your own willpower, live the Christian life when the indwelling Spirit wants to empower you and illuminate you and direct you? 
What is stopping you from living and walking in the Spirit? What's stopping you from choosing to to use your will to choose His way? Why not decide right now to change your life from this moment forward?